welcome to the Faith Alive series and today we are going to discuss the doctrine of baptisms. Now you might say, why did you say baptisms? I thought baptism was baptism, just uh, uh, some people have different ideas on how this is done. But no, actually in the Bible uh, there are three different kinds of baptisms. Uh, and Hebrews tells us that this is one of the foundational teachings of our faith. It says that uh, let's go beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death, faith in God and instruction about baptisms and then some other things as well. Okay, so um, let's just think about the baptisms. There are three, John's baptism, Christian baptism, and baptism in the Holy Spirit. Little definition here. Uh, as you might have guessed, this uh, word baptize comes from the Greek word baptizo. Well, that's pretty close. And the root meaning is to immerse. Okay, so not just to do something partial, it's totally going under. Totally. And the root word, bapto, means to dip. So whether you immerse something by putting it down into the water, for example, so it's fully covered, or if you immerse it by pouring water over it so that it's fully wet, that's total immersion, not partial. A baptism is a complete transition out of one place into another. And for the Christian, it's out of an old way of life, an old way of living, and into a totally new way of living. It's a total immersion of all our being moving from one kind of life to Christ's life. It's not just part of us involved, but the whole lot of our being. Now, the Bible talks about us being baptized in something. And so this is the medium that we're baptized in. And in the Bible, um, John's baptism and Christian baptism, it's in water. And then the baptism in the Holy Spirit, that's in the Holy Spirit. And then we are baptized into something. This is the end product or the result of baptism. John's baptism was a baptism of repentance into or for forgiveness of sins. That was the result. Christian baptism, it's into the newness of life in Jesus. A baptism of the Holy Spirit is into the body of Christ. We won't be discussing that third one today. We'll do another series on that. So we're looking first at John's baptism. John the Baptist. That's who we're talking about. Now, he didn't get his name because he started the Baptist church. Um, although, Baptists are called that because they strongly believe in water baptism. And that's how they got their name. But John the Baptist got his name because he was the baptizer. This was his ministry before Jesus, uh, the Messiah, came uh, and began his ministry. So let's look at Mark chapter 1, verse 2 to 4. 
So we're talking about John the Baptist here. In the beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, it, as it was written when Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight paths for him. That's a quotation from Isaiah. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the or into the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. It's very significant that God wouldn't release Jesus to come until the hearts of Israel, the people of Israel, had been prepared by repentance. I wonder if this will be the same before Jesus comes again for the second time. Will there be a time of incredible repentance and people um, laying down the things of the world and being wholly and radically committed to God? I believe this could be true. At this point with John the Baptist, he stood as a link between the era of the law and the prophets, which we find in the Old Testament, and the new era that Jesus brought in of the gospel and grace. He ended one era or dispensation and he initiated or began the next one. And his impact for this brief moment in time was incredible. It says that the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. You know, people recognize where the fire of God burns and they will go to see it. Jesus described him in John 5.35 as like this. John was a lamp that burned and gave light and you chose for a time to enjoy his light. But we know that most of the people of his day didn't really catch fire themselves. Okay, so looking at what John's baptism required, what John preached was repentance. This is a decision. We've talked about repentance in the last um, session. Repentance is a decision, not an emotion. It's to turn around and go the opposite way from the way you've been living beforehand. It's first a decision followed by an action. You decide by your will and your action is you turn right around and do the different thing. So John also required a public confession of sins. Wow, this could be humiliating. This was a very powerful thing though, even though it's not popular today. Uh, and God doesn't necessarily require public confession of sins, but confession of sins is absolutely vital in our lives. You know, John, uh, 1 John 1 9 says, If we confess our sins, he, Jesus, is faithful to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we need always to ask the Holy Spirit daily and even more to show us what is undealt with in our lives so that we can get rid of that heavy load of unconfessed sin 
and receive forgiveness and cleansing. Okay, so we say John's baptism required repentance. It required confession of sin. And thirdly, it needed the evidence of a changed life. Now, it appears that John the Baptist refused to baptize those who had not repented because they didn't show evidence of it in their lives. And these people that he talked very strongly to were religious people in the day. It's very hard for people who've identified with the last move of God to move into what God has next. Okay, so we're going to move on now to the limitations. John's baptism had some limitations. It only took people a certain distance, but it didn't produce the new birth that Jesus talked about as being really important that he wanted to bring. It wasn't possible to have this new birth until Jesus was resurrected from the dead. After Pentecost, uh, things changed because Jesus had done the work of the cross. He had won the victory over sin, death, hell and Satan. And so the baptism of John was no longer needed. It was no longer accepted as valid. And we can see this if we read in Acts 19. So let's just go to Acts chapter 19. Here's a situation with the Apostle Paul where he finds some people who believed in Jesus but they actually had some holes in what they understood. They didn't have complete understanding. Okay, so looking at verse 1, Acts 19. While Apostle, uh, Apollos was in Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples and asked them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they answered, no, uh, we didn't even know that there was a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked, then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. And Paul said to them, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus. On hearing this, they, these disciples, were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. And there were about 12 men in all. So we here see here that um, they had a baptism, but it wasn't uh, enough now. It was different and Paul wanted them to thoroughly understand what um, would be uh, the best for the disciples of Jesus. He checked they were true disciples of Jesus and then he taught them what they needed and they were delighted to, to have the baptism in the name of Jesus. And that gave them um, the preparation to receive the Holy Spirit. So John's baptism didn't give them that preparation to receive the Holy Spirit. It was only when they were baptized in Jesus' baptism that they were led into the receiving of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues and prophesying. Okay, so Christian baptism is not a baptism of repentance. We're going to talk now about how different Christian baptism is from John's baptism. John's baptism, all about repentance. 
Christian baptism is not about repentance. Jesus showed us about Christian baptism and he wasn't a sinner, so he didn't need to confess any sins and repent. This was a different kind of baptism. If we look at Matthew chapter 3, verses 15 to 17, this is where Jesus was baptised himself. Now, he wasn't baptised because he needed to get rid of his sins, but he was baptised as the, our elder brother, as the first person into the new covenant way that he was showing us. So, looking at verse 13... Matthew chapter 3, then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? And Jesus said, let it be so now. It's proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then Jesus consented, and as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water, and at that moment the heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. This example of Jesus shows the extreme importance in God's eyes of being baptized in water. We have the, the Holy Spirit of God descending on him and remaining on him from that time on. And God the Father spoke from heaven to commend this action. Jesus is identifying himself with all those who will follow him, um, saved by the grace and the work of Jesus, and then walking through the waters of baptism. And he says it's for this reason, looking at verse 15, it's proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. It wasn't just proper for him, us. It's proper for all of us of the new covenant of Jesus, the new life of Jesus, to do this to fulfill or complete all righteousness. Romans 5.1 says we're justified by faith, that means we are recognized as righteous through our faith in Jesus, not by anything we can do. And when we have this assurance in Jesus, water baptism is the appropriate way to complete or carry out that righteousness. So we look at the commitment of baptism. This isn't just a light thing to be done. It's not just like words we say. When Christians are baptised, we are identifying with Jesus in his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And we often do it publicly. I've seen it done in rivers, at the beach, in a big church auditorium, in many different places. That doesn't matter. We can see that in the Bible. Okay, so let's look at Romans chapter 6, verse 3 to 4. Don't you know that all of us who were baptised into Jesus Christ were baptised into his death? We were therefore buried with him 
through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we've been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with that we should no longer be slaves to sin because everyone who has died has been set free from sin. That is such good teaching from Paul. The resurrection of Jesus is absolutely vital. God the Father, through the Holy Spirit, brought Jesus back to life to be the author of life and godliness to all who believe in him. Baptism, as it's stated here, shows that we've come to the end of living our own life and doing things in our own strength or power. And from now on, we're going to be identified with Jesus and walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. Baptism, of water baptism, is an enactment of the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. Every time it happens, it's like this. Every time it happens, you feel it in yourself. It reminds you of the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. In the early church, it wasn't enough just to say, okay, I believe, and words, just the words themselves, were not enough. It had to be words and acted out by being baptized. It was, you know, in, a, in a communist regimes and some very anti-Christian regimes like in the Middle East, um, they don't fear somebody saying uh, the words of becoming a Christian because it's quite easy to say words. What they really go for is for people who have made a firm commitment in baptism. That's when the persecution often starts because this is saying I don't want to just add this to my life. This is going to be my complete life to be a disciple of Jesus like Matthew 26 says, going into the world um, and sharing the gospel of Jesus. This is feared by anti-Christian regimes throughout the world because these people are radical they make a difference, and so they want to eradicate these people. Okay, so baptism is a death sentence to your old life. Your old life no longer belongs to you. You're to count it as dead. So you reckon it or count it as being dead so that you can be free from all those sin tangles that you were involved in before. And the requirements to be baptised were really quite simple. You heard the Gospel of Christ and you understood the three simple historical facts. Then we can find those in 1 Corinthians 15, 1-4. And those facts are that Jesus died for our sins. He was buried and on the third day he rose again to new life, triumphant over all the things that Satan could throw against him. Okay, so you heard, you recognized these three facts, you repented of your sin and believed in Jesus. 
Acts 2, 38 says, Repent, be baptized, and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So there's often thing, a group of things that came together in becoming a Christian. In the Bible, in the early church, they're often mentioned together that you repented, you believed, and you were baptized. Or, and you were filled with the Holy Spirit. That's a package deal. And he, God doesn't want us to stop halfway through. He wants us to have them all. 1 Peter 3.21 talks about having a good conscience towards God. So when we followed his directions for salvation, um, we have a good conscience. Lord, we've done this. And then God steps in and does his part uh, in our lives. People say, well, how do I prepare for baptism? Um, should I take classes? Uh, is there any kind of special preparation? You know, churches have often made it that there's a six weeks of teaching or something like that, but that's not what the Bible says. If we look in uh, Acts, in the early church, um, people were often baptised the same day that they came to know Jesus. In the day of Pentecost, in Acts 2, they were baptised the same day. Philippian jailer and his family in Acts 16, um, they were baptised immediately. Household of Cornelius in Acts 10, they believed they were immersed in the Holy Spirit, which led Paul, uh, Peter to go, oh, wow, God obviously wants these Gentiles to become Christians as well as Jewish people, and he commanded them to be baptized as an act of obedience to God. That was just like a couple of hours after they came to know Jesus and accept him. Now, let's just look at one of these in a bit more detail. We're going to look at Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8. Verse 35. So this is the story of the evangelist Philip and how God led him to an Ethiopian eunuch who was high in the um, government of Ethiopia and he was so hungry for the word of God he was reading in the book of Isaiah and God sent Philip to help him to understand that so then Philip, looking at verse 35, Philip began with that very message of a passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. And as they traveled along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, here's water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptized him. And when they came out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch didn't see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Now, this is an awesome passage for a number of reasons. The first one is you can see that he went down into the water. That's that full immersion thing. The second thing is that this was straight after him being converted, and while 
Philip was explaining the way of the gospel, he was also talking about the process which included baptism and the Ethiopian eunuch in his new understanding says, well, I want this next step. Can't I have it right now? And yes, that was the perfect time because God was going to take Philip away and he wouldn't need him anymore, but he'd be filled with the joy of the Lord as he had that step of obedience completed. Now, those are lovely stories in the New Testament. So there's a lot of spiritual significance to baptism. We've talked about the fact that it does identify us with Jesus' death, his burial and his resurrection. It shows us, it shows that when Jesus died on the cross, our sinful, rebellious nature was executed with him. That's the way we're to look at it. It was nailed to the cross with him. And in Romans 6, we read these verses, verse 11, in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Count it as a completed fact. And the outward process of this is baptism. And you know, part of this is burial. Dead bodies have got to be buried. So bury your old self down in the waters of baptism and come up again in the newness of the resurrection life of Jesus. Our faith in the working of God makes, makes our resurrection to new life real in our experience. We need faith. We have faith in Jesus that he will do the work not us. Otherwise that's striving and we get into religious stuff. We want to have faith that God will work what's necessary as we do our part. Okay, so some interesting facts to note. We are not baptised into a church or a denomination. No, we are baptised into Christ. That's really different. It's not. It really doesn't matter about there's many churches that perfectly fine to belong to but we are not baptized into any of them only into Christ and the second thing is baptism separates us from the power and authority of our old lives this is something people often don't understand but there's an actual significant process that goes on when we're baptized we are separated from our old life it's a cut off point you know, the Israelites give us this example. We read about them at the Passover in Egypt. They were saved by faith in the Passover lamb's blood. But they were still in Egypt. That was while they were still in Egypt. But the water of the Red Sea crossing saved them from Egypt. So we want to be separated from the life we've had. We want any tentacles, anything that's had power in our life to be severed and this baptism is a way to have a strong cutting off in our lives. There's quite an urgency to get baptised because it's part of the process of our complete salvation. We don't want to get to, as I said before, to stop halfway. I'm not saying that you're not saved if you're not baptized but it is God's command to us in Mark chapter 16 verse 16 
he said, let's just read that, Mark chapter 16, verse 16. Whoever believes and is baptised will be saved, but whoever does not, be, not believe will be condemned. That's what Jesus doesn't say. It's a recommendation. He says, do this. When you believe and are saved, be baptised. That's part of your complete salvation process. The second thing the, oh, obviously, no, not second, but let's go to the next one. Baptism sometimes happens before people know anything about anything. Now, baptism of a baby does not save them because they don't understand. And we need to understand what we are doing when we are baptised. Baptism as, a believe, as an unbeliever, as just a ritual, has no power either. It's just a religious act with no life in it. It's a baptism that happens in those cases is, does not have the power and the Holy Spirit backing. We need to believe first. That's really important. There are people who have had these processes in the past, but it has been before they have known or believed in Jesus, and they have decided to have baptism redone um, because they now fully understand and believe in Jesus. So in conclusion, baptism is a vital part of our salvation experience and it's more significant than lots of people understand. It's not just recommended, but it's a command of the Lord and he wants us to go through the waters of baptism to cut off our old life and show and declare a walk and commitment to him and his life. So if you're listening and you've made a firm commitment to follow Jesus but you haven't yet been baptised, I'd like to encourage you to talk to the church leaders, talk to your friends about it. How can you do this? Don't put it off. Because if you're wanting to walk in obedience to the Lord, you want to do this as part of your walk. And there are spiritual blessings that follow this walk. And included in that is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Because very often when you are baptised in water, it leads into baptism in the Holy Spirit. Uh, we'll talk about that in another session. So we, today... We're just particularly talking about water baptism. So let's just pray now. Father, we are just so blessed with your salvation plan. Thank you so much that you have given us the ways to draw near you and to walk in commitment with you. And Lord, when you tell us to be baptised, we know it is because you want us to have a freedom from areas of sin from our past life and you want us to walk in the newness of life in Jesus free and totally um, able to live without sin entanglements. We ask you Lord to just speak to our hearts in the areas that you want to touch 
and we say to you, Jesus, we love you, we thank you, we are yours. Amen.